CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast. Coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Welcome to another edition of Talking Metal. This is your co-host, John Astronomy, sitting next to your other co-host, Mark Striegel, at the Marriott Marquis Hotel, right here in Midtown Manhattan. Mark, I'm really excited to hear your interview with our very special guest, Bruce Kulik. Yeah, what, what a great honor to have Bruce back on the show, the guitarist of Grand Funk Railroad, Kiss, Blackjack. Oh, this guy's done so much. And we're going to talk about some of it right now with Bruce. But before we do that, let's hear a little kiss. This is No, No, No. And listen to Bruce just rip this apart. I mean, the beginning, the guitar playing on this is just phenomenal. So let's check it out. Kiss, the song No, No, No.
That was No, No, No by KISS featuring Bruce Kulick, our very special guest today on lead guitar. And by the way, Bruce just actually posted a uh, one of those throwback Thursday photos, and it was really cool. It said Animalize, and it was a great picture of him. It looked like it was possibly from the Detroit show, but, you know, it, it could have been from any one of the shows on the Animalize tour, But uh, which was a great tour. You remember that MTV concert that KISS did on that tour? Yeah, I do, yes. That was very, very cool. And then it was released in long form uh, on a videotape. Remember those things? Animalize Live Uncensored, featuring Bruce Kulick on lead guitar. Yeah, I used to have that, definitely. I used to have that. And I was recently watching the Kissology, the third one that opens up one of the first things on there. As you know, you worked on it, is that concert with with Bruce from the Revenge era. And it's just, uh, what what a great, great time in history. Uh, Bruce Kulick uh, playing with that band, and of course, Eric Carr was was the drummer for a while, and then Bruce continued uh, with Kiss when Eric Singer came in. A lot of great stuff. But right now, let's get into the song called Life off of BK3, Bruce's solo record from 2010. Then we're going to hear my interview with Bruce, and we'll wrap up today's episode with some more music off of the... BK3 record. We'll hear a song that he did with Gene, actually. So, Mark, we're going to get into your interview with Bruce. And, of course, guys, Bruce, check out all of his stuff. Everything from Blackjack with Michael Bolton, Sandy Gennaro, and Jimmy Haslip. Bruce's work with Kiss. Bruce's work with Grand Funk Railroad. All of Bruce's solo work work with Union. This guy is one of my favorite guitar players, and I actually just said that on a previous uh, edition of Talking Metal. And also, uh, just such a great guy. You know, congratulations, Bruce, on your wedding. Thank you for sending me the wedding video. Very, very nice. And we're going to hear, after the interview, the song Ain't Gonna Die, featuring Gene Simmons by Bruce Kulick. That's right. And out of respect to Bruce, he asked that we don't talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame which uh, I'm respecting that uh, request, and it's understandably so. He doesn't want to get wrapped up in all the drama, but I thought I should at least mention it because I know I'll get letters saying, why didn't I ask him about that? So that's, that's why, guys. So anyways, going into the interview is the song Life by Bruce Kulick. Going out of the interview is the song Ain't Gonna Die off of Bruce's BK3 record, and Ain't Gonna Die, of course, features Gene Simmons on vocals. Here we go. Life by Bruce Kulick into the interview. Life is a crazy game. Sometimes you just can't win. Love is the way to see just what your world can bring. Are the way to know 
what our future holds Fate's in the cards we play So let the journey begin Hey, it's Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, and online we have the one and only Bruce Kulik. Congratulations on your recent wedding, Bruce. Hey, thanks a lot. Um, it was truly an exciting day, and uh, what can I say? You know, um, I picked a, a wonderful woman, and um, I was pretty concerned that things could go wrong at the wedding, and everything was just great. Um, and you know, we just get along so well. I'm, uh, she's so supportive of uh, kind of like who I am and what I do, and. and and she's quite talented herself, too, even though she has a regular job. So I'm right. very, very proud of her.
Cool. Well, we just heard the song Life off of BK3 coming into the interview, mm-hmm. which is a great ballad that closes the, yep. uh, the album. Any memories of writing and recording that track? You know, that song, I have to be honest, was a very big channel challenge uh, lyric-wise. You know, I, I really, really had to figure out, I mean, think about it, you're going to title something, I already knew it was life, because I had that right away when I started writing the chords, you know, I didn't know what life was, okay, if you get what I'm saying, because I'm going to write about life, and we all, if we're breathing, we're, you know, having our life, right, and it was interesting that, um, like a relationship song's not as challenging sometimes, because, you know, you know, it's about a relationship, and how you feel about it and how you want to tell that story, but how do you tell a story on something as big as life? So I remember um, I was traveling with Grand Funk and I was at a you know airport and I was just kick, killing some time before the next flight and I go into one of the bookstores that they have near the gates and sure enough there was uh, some books on um, religion and self-help and stuff like that. I remember um, picking up a book that had. Um, I think it was called like purpose driven life or something. I don't know. It it was something related to a, like like helping people who feel lost, you know. Right. And right in there were chapters that gave keywords, you know, the word faith and love and um and I was like, "Oh, this is good." And I actually bought the book, not so much to um you know, feel like I I wanted to know everything in it, but just as a source of inspiration for lyrics, you know. And it was very, very helpful because, of course, it was dealing with uh, like a manual for 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 a person, you know, how to how to live. And um, of course, I referenced um, "All You Need Is Love" by the Beatles. <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, you know, that's a big statement, you know. And um, you can't get any better than McCartney and Lennon when you want to look at lyrics. Bob Dylan's another good source, you know. So anyway, uh, that's that's how I. It was a struggle, but I was actually really. Um, proud of it. It's kind of funny. I know the last line something, so be careful of what you choose. Which is really true that, you know, in life, um, let's be um, quite blunt and just say, like, if you want to go kill yourself, you could today, right? And yeah. if you want to eat yourself to death, and uh, you could. And if you want to do drugs and die, or if you want to. Um, being successful, I think, is much harder, actually. You know what I mean? And, and applying yourself and learning and, and doing kind things to other people, you know, but be careful of the choices you make, you know, uh, it's all there in front of you, and hopefully you have a good moral path to figure out the, you know, the best way to do things, you know, within what you feel, you know, because everybody has their own kind of, um, you know, opinions about things, so uh, it was, it was a hard song, you know, and thanks for playing it, I appreciate it. I was on a car trip recently, and I listened to BK3 all the way through, solid record, lots of great songs lots of great singing most guitar players tend to always put out these instrumental records is that something you thought about doing for bk3 or were you from the get-go sure that you wanted it to be an album with vocals um you know i I, i've thought about that before there were more instrumentals on some of the other um solo records and there was more vocals for me on some of the other solo records too audio dog and transformer but when uh, Jeremy Rubellino, the guy that I um, that produced the record with me and co-wrote the majority of the songs, when we started to like, create it, you know, and it took a long time, we realized, you know, this song would be great if, like, like what if the guy from Cheap Trick sang this, you know? Oh, well, we're probably not going to be able to get Robin Zander this time, but 
how about you know that guy from the knack you know uh, you know uh, Doug Figer you know one of, he's he's a great pop uh, pop rock singer so you see what I mean and and then uh, I got brave enough to ask Gene and he said of course you know and then before I even mentioned to him what about your son Nick he offered up his son Nick you see what I mean um, so it, it it was an evolution I wouldn't say I had a master plan about how BK3 with the guests were going to uh, evolve it just did you know what I mean yeah. uh, and I was really happy about that and I'm glad you're talking about the record because I do have I haven't really uh, announced it yet, but what I'm planning on doing, and I, I've hinted at it before, I, it's not up on iTunes, and that's been for a reason. I've been, uh, I could have put it up uh, a, a year ago or more once it reverted back to me from the label that licensed it, okay? But I've been trying to find a time to finish some bonus material for it. Cool. Okay? So there's a remix from a DJ that is a big Kiss fan, but he's part of that DJ world who took Ain't, Ain't Gonna Die, and this this version will turn you upside down. It's really crazy, wow. but it's really really great. And I think the fans are going to dig it. And there's also a song. There were a couple others left over that were never finished. And I have been doing a lot of guitar work for this young guy, Andrew London, who was at my wedding and performed at my wedding. And Andrew's a terrific songwriter, singer, and he had an interesting take on this song that Jeremy and I. Uh, really finished all the tracks. It's just we didn't really have a firm lyric or, or melody for it. We had ideas and we had an you know a concept. I did have some a couple of key lyrical words what I wanted it to be, which was about the words love and desire. And um, but Andrew took it off and running and had a great take on it. And then we finished it about three weeks ago in the studio. In fact, we actually updated it even right then. You know, I thought we were going to record what Andrew came up with, and then in the studio we're actually, you know, rewriting the lyrics and 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 getting it right. So that was just literally. I just got the mix uh, handed to me a couple of days ago. I just got the uh, mix for the, uh, the, you know, the DJ thing. You know, the remixed. Uh, uh, Gene Simmons uh, song ain't gonna die, so um, I'm just in the process, you know, within um, you know before the end of this month of um, signing up to get it all three of my solo records up on iTunes, you know. So um, I'm excited about that because uh, you know it, I'm real proud of that record. I mean, I spent a lot of money on it. I spent a lot of time doing it, um, and uh, I I did get some great reviews. And there's still fans of mine who were really big fans of mine when I go like, Hey, did you hear BK3? And more than half of the time, half of the time they'd be like, I got it, I love it. And the other half it would be like, I knew about it, I'll go check it out on YouTube and then I'll probably buy the CD. You know, yeah, I mean, right. that's, that's sadly the reality of the music business right now. And I know they're missing out on something, but um, not that, you know, KISS fans are generally want to hold the physical product, you know, and I understand that. They could still order it from my website and all, but the point is, um, I think having it on iTunes, I can, I can, you know, make some noise about it and scream about it and, Finally, the other two were never available on iTunes, you know. And th- in that case, also Spotify and some of the other things, you know, the uh, streaming music places are able to take it then once it's uh, up on uh, uh, iTunes and all. Okay. So I'm looking forward to having a little visibility with all that. Cool. So that's big news. All three Bruce Kulick solo albums coming to iTunes with BK3 having two bonus tracks. Right. right. The song that I'll probably add to Audio Dog was part of some of the other things I've done for Audio Dog on a limited basis, but the two brand new tracks that everybody will hear, I'm going to attach those to uh, BK3. Yeah. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, we yeah. look forward to that. And mm-hmm. you were just with the Judas Priest guys, right? At Rock oh, and Roll yeah, Fantasy those guys Camp. were great. Yeah, I had a fun time. I mean, the fantasy camp's a lot of fun. And to be honest, I I was only aware of, in the same way that some people know Kiss, but they only know a couple of the hits, and that's all they know. You know, when it came to Judas Priest, it was probably like four or five key radio tracks that I was a big fan of, but not really aware of some of the catalog. And then, uh, since it's a camp with twelve bands, you know, and 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 all, we were all assigned different songs. And my my band got uh, uh, a killer tune from them. You know, this uh, what's it called again? Damn, strangers. No, uh, uh, it's got this long title. You know, but it's like wow, what a what an amazing song. You know, yeah. what I mean, I had to learn it with my group. It was up on my Facebook, you know, we, we jammed it. Uh, and uh, But I was it was like a seven-minute tune, wow. you know. Really cool. I'll figure out the yeah, title. Yeah, I'm trying to think we... of what song that could be. But I'll, 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 uh, yeah, let me, let me, it's probably on my phone somewhere. Oh. <laughs> if you go to my Facebook, it's there. Okay. My brain's a little fried from everything I've been dealing with today. But it's, it's really, really, um, uh, what a great band. Those guys were great to, to, to hang with and meet, meet the uh you know, campers and uh, class act. And and it was funny, during the meet and greet, the big question was, uh, they were ready to move on. And I was like, wait, 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 you know, Rob, when's the next, what's happening? You know, what's happening next? You know, and that's when he shared with everybody that they're finishing up a record and uh, a new, new product is coming out, you know. Victims of Change. Victims of Change, yeah, of sure. Change. Yeah. Sure, off yeah. of, uh, I believe, Sad Wings of Destiny. That's off, of, yeah, great, great, great track. And, and you get what I mean, that I knew the hits, but then all of a sudden I'm hearing that song, and I'm going, wow, that's kind of like Black Sabbath taken even further. You yeah. know what I mean? What a great song. So, so yeah, working with those guys was a lot of fun jamming with them. Excellent. And what about Grand Funk Railroad? Any updates on what you guys are up to? You know, it's going to be our usual, you know, really when I joined the band, it was always Don and Mel's intention to um, – not get on a tour bus and go around the country and play every place you can play. It was about just doing the um, casinos and, and the uh, county fairs, state fairs, you know, wh- whatever gig came up that's appropriate for a classic rock band that wants to fl- do the fly dates, you know what I mean? As soon as you want to be in a bus uh, with some groups, I'm not talking about Kiss, who's going to do a smart package arena tour, you know what I mean? I'm talking about a lot of the other groups. Um, you know, from Kansas and Sticks and all that. Um, you know, we, we just do the fly dates. So we fly in and out. I have a gig coming up, you know, this weekend in Atlantic City. We got uh, Leslie West from Mountain opening up, which is really cool. I, I, lo- I love his guitar playing. And, you know, generally in a year we'll do about 35 to 40 gigs, which um, which is plenty of travel, you know, if you think about it, because each gig is going to be the travel day to get there, the, the yeah. gig day to travel home. Sometimes they, they're stringed in a row, and you know, next thing you know, you, you know, I'm gone for a week or something. But more often than not, it's uh, I'm gone for two or three days, and maybe four if there's two gigs in a row. But it gives me time to do all the other things that I love to do, which is the sessions, concentrate on my own solo stuff, go to places like Iceland, which I did this year. Oh, fun! Sit in with a band in Vegas, you know, do the fantasy camp. Uh, you, you get what I mean. I'm always Lots of times there's other things on my plate where people want me to come to, um, let's say they want me to go to Finland and my schedule I can't commit too far in advance because I don't want to uh, not affect, you know, Grand Funk in a negative way and, you know, by blocking things too far in advance, you know, because the band could work really any weekend, you know. Yeah. So uh, I'm always kind of juggling that, but it always seems to work out one way or another that I get to do a lot of 
really cool things besides the gigs that I enjoy doing with Grand Funk. Excellent. Now, have you ever done writing with the Grand Funk guys? You know, I did. There was a song that I wrote with Max that Don helped out and arranged. Max is the singer, Max Carl. And uh, we did it for a a couple of years. Uh, I'll admit it was more like a ballad, you know what I mean? But it was really a beautiful uh, song called uh, Who Took Down the Stars. And I was always very, very proud of it. But um, we dropped it later on the set. We found, like, the ultimate set to do that the pacing is perfect and just, you know, it has more of the hits. There are some new songs that are in the set that were written by, by Max and Don. So we're not only doing Grand Funk songs, and then we always do... Max was in 38 Special and had a big hit with a song called Second Chance. So we do we do it our way. We don't do it exactly like the, the hit. It was a hit in the 80s, and it kind of sounded 80s production. Right. But the way we do it is more the way Max heard it when he first wrote it. Um, but uh, the rest is... Um, all the, the bigger Grand Funk hits that really seem to uh, go over amazing. But I still, you know, uh, so guitar-wise, I get to be featured in just about every song, you know, with a solo, and um, there's a big, uh, long inside looking out where I'm running around the stage and playing leads, and I do the Star Spangled Banner, you know, uh, right prior to that. So there's plenty of showboating from me you know, right, during sure. the show, you know, regardless of... Uh, whose song is whose and what era it came from. Wow, cool. So KISS is celebrating their 40th year since the the first record came out. You were obviously a big part of that 40 years, and I was reading Guitar World magazine mm-hmm. and just thought the uh, the quote that Paul said about you was, was awesome. It was, for some people, KISS started in the 80s, and for them, Bruce is their guy, great team player who always gives his best he was also essential to Kiss becoming a platinum-selling band again. His importance should not be minimized, uh, which Paul usually doesn't speak so highly about right. ex-members. So I thought that was really, uh, really nice to to read that. Yeah, I was quite flattered to read it too. And um, you know, he, I mean, he shared that with me, you know, from an email around Christmas time because of the Hall of Fame and everybody talking about 40 years of Kiss and all. And he wanted to be sure that I was aware that uh, as much as. Um, you know, a lot of what's being discussed in the news with the band is all about the original four or the, the fighting that they're now having about the right. uh, induction, you know, is is that KISS is about these 40 years. I, I actually went ahead, and i I, I got to admit, I, because I don't stand on a, a, you know, a soapbox a lot and scream, look at me, look at me. I literally um, uh, went to, like, KISSFacts.com, which is one of those, you know, pretty resourceful places. Oh, yeah, I know it well. And I wanted to see, all right, what did, what did Asylum sell? What did, um, you know, Crazy Night sell? And, and, and interesting enough, they, he, they only have, like, if it's gold or platinum. He doesn't say, let's say something actually sold 900000 which is shy of platinum. They don't have that, okay? okay? And that's okay, you know. But adding up just gold and platinum from my era, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a minimum of, like, you know, six or seven million, you know what I mean? And knowing that, like, something like Revenge probably sold more like 900,000, not, it should, it should be a platinum record, but it's shy of it, you know. Uh, you know, it could be like 10 million records there between, you know, when you do the math properly, uh, which is a pretty big, uh, a lot of sales for, for, for the 12 years that I've been involved. So um, I'm, I'm quite happy. I know Guitar World showing me some uh, love. I, I did a... Uh, interview with them this week and a photo shoot thing for something that's going to appear soon and uh there's no doubt that um i think it's great that that 
in the same way that I do it on my website, like uh, it's, it's you know 20 year anniversary of this album or 15 of this one or 25 of this one, you know, there's no denying that you know Kiss is now 40 years in existence. Then its existence never stopped. Okay, and uh, certainly some band, some people only know the band is, uh, wearing makeup, and of course there are plenty of these other fans that are very well aware of my era, and they support that era. Um, along with Eric Carr, and um, and there are even Vinnie Vincent fans out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, he, and he wasn't there that long, you know. So um, I just think that uh, it's been an amazing band to be, you know, obviously a part of. You know, because how many bands have a history like that? And regardless of which one gets um, uh, the light, you know, kind of brightly shined on, whatever era you're looking at. I certainly represent that non-makeup era, which was, um, you know, a long, t- a long period. It yeah, was a little absolutely. longer than my 12 years, but not much. You know, it seems like I'm definitely the uh, the flag bearer of the non-makeup era. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to go back to the non-makeup era right now and talk about actually the album before you were technically in the band was was Animalized. Now, I always thought of you as joining the band early on in the Animalized tour, but you also played on that record, right? Well, I did a little bit of ghost work, and that was my kind of introduction to Paul, so he could say, realizing that Mark may not make this tour, maybe Bruce would be the right guy, you know what I mean, to fill in. So you played, I believe, some ghost work or something on two songs? and a couple other riffs at the end of another song. That's all it was. All right. A A quick afternoon session, you know. Now those those parts didn't make the final. No, mix no, of the no they're on there. They're I on think there. the songs are like "Murder in High Heels" and something else. You know. Right. Now, so you can probably find the info on kissfacts.com. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, go so was Paul and or Gene during the recording of that record or before the tour? I guess well, obviously before the tour, but during the recording of that record, were they talking to you about potentially joining the band? No, um, I was just there to do my job the way my brother used to do it, if you know what I mean. Come in, your name's not going to be on here if we like what you play, you know, and we'll pay you, and here you go. Uh, but but Paul said something very cryptic to me that I didn't know why he said it. My hair was about shoulder length, but he said, don't cut your hair. So obviously it was in his mind that at that point I could be the guy to fill in for Mark. I was not told that Mark was ill. I thought it might have been like, we didn't like what he was playing here, but I think he was already probably having some sort of health issue already happening, and then they had to get a couple of these tracks done. That's it. Yeah, because you know it's the health issue, the arthritis that he had. We read we read about that, but then you know with the explosion of the internet, there's all these other stories that maybe during the recording of that record, he was already kind of bumping heads with with people. That's, you know, that's possible that he didn't get along with those guys, although, you know, when you're brand new in a band, and I had a lot more experience than Mark St. John, even though he's a very talented player, I didn't think his style was exactly geared towards Kiss, but they wanted some, you know, one of these kind of faster speed kind of L.A. kind of um, guitar players. He asked uh, Grover Jackson for recommendations, and Mark was one on the list, and, um, uh, but definitely, um, he would have been guided by Gene and Paul on their songs in the same way that I was when I went into Asylum, even with all the experience I had. You know, you walk into a situation of a band like Kiss, that's like suddenly getting a job at Coca-Cola, or you're coming in and you're going to tell them how to, how to, how to you know, you're going to change the formula. You know what I mean? 
Oh yeah, there's some guy that did that, the new Coke, right? That yeah. didn't last very long. Yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't. You know. So anyway, I, I I don't think it was only about butting heads. I do think it was illness. I think they may have realized that he wasn't the right guy as they got to work with him more. Um, but they gave him a fair shot, I tell you. They took him out on tour in America. He was traveling with me. We used to like warm up backstage, and um, to be quite honest, I kind of knew once they would give him like a full shot that he probably wouldn't be as strong as me because I just I got that I got what they were looking for more yeah you know? and uh, and then they sent him home you know, so that was it. the the story goes that he played two shows uh, two and a half shows I guess on right. the animalized tour and you yeah. came in for the th- second half of that third show what why how did that work like I'm a little he- confused myself what I thought I remembered was that they wanted to let him do like the first half of the show and then they'll let them do the second half of the show. You know, in other words, we were both playing. Okay? Right. Not at the same time, but just, just passing the baton. And then one, the last time, they just let them do an entire show. And I literally did watch, dressed and everything, ready to go if needed. And I I know what I watched. I was like, they're going to send them home. This yeah. Is good. You know what I mean? It's not that he played bad. His tone wasn't there. And I think he tried to, like, upstage a little bit more than... I get that he was trying to be exciting on stage, but you don't try to upstage Gene and Paul. They're the, some of the best performers ever in rock and roll, so why would you get in the way? <laughs> you know, I might have been Spruce Bruce, you know, but yeah. at least I, <laughs> I didn't... I didn't, um, you know, you, you, you know, I, I, I didn't step on their toes. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Do you remember well, what the first song you played with Kiss on stage was? You know, it might have been "I've Had Enough." You know, because that tour we were promoting "Animalize." You know, might have been that song. Okay. I have a bootleg of the first concert somewhere, but I'm pretty oh, sure it's us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're out there. Yeah, they're out there. So Asylum then was the first official record that you, you right. did with, with Kiss. Exactly. And yep. it opened up with a great song, King, yeah, of, King, the, of, the Mountain. King yeah. of the Mountain. And you uh, co-wrote that mm-hmm. song. Can you tell us how that song came about? Was it jamming? Was it passing cassettes back and forth? Um, I just remember that um, I would present to Paul some ideas. I remember working in his apartment in New York. He had a beautiful uh, apartment there in Midtown. And uh, I think I only had like the verses you know what I mean? But it was a good groove, and uh, the whole thing with the beginning and all that uh, with with Eric, I think that was more an arrangement thing done later, you know? But, uh, and I'm pretty sure he came up with the chorus and all that movement. So, uh, but it was exciting to to have some co-writes right away uh, as soon as I, you know, actually was really working with the guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so many great albums that you had with them. I wanted to talk about one song specifically off of Revenge, that there's always been a lot of mystery about. We mm-hmm. may have even asked you about it before, but Car Jam on mm-hmm. the the Revenge record. Now, that was apparently a leftover from the Elder Sessions, I believe. And the story goes that you re-recorded the, the solo on that. And do you know, was there an original solo on it? Did you re-record it? Did you add it? Was, was, it, was it Ace that was on the original tapes when you guys pulled them out? You know, I wasn't always, like, really, really aware of every Kiss album. The Elder was one that I didn't have a lot of knowledge of. When when I heard, uh, you know, first of all, when I went into the studio, when the guys realized they wanted to put this on Revenge, that was, like, immediately after the funeral, 
okay? And I was the first one to get back to work in the studio with Ezra. So they already kind of pulled that tape. Um, I did not hear any of the tracks to know if there was anything, what you're asking, on there. All I heard was the drums. And I, I kind of, for me, it was a little crazy to begin with because, you know, I just, you know, came back from the funeral of, you know, Eric Carr, which was emotionally devastating, you know, and uh, I was glad I was working and I had a guitar in my hand, you know. But all I remember, I'm kind of glad I didn't know much about any, you know, the original virgin, version, rather. You, you know what I mean? Sure. For me, the song was brand new, you know. So um, I know it was was there and, and, and kind of wanted to be presented on Revenge as a, as a, you know, to show respect to Eric and have a drum solo from him included in the Revenge album. So... Um, it wasn't until much later that I got the whole story of Breakout and it was the, this track left over and Ace actually played on the original version, but like I'm saying, I never heard anything else but, but Eric's drums that I had to play to. Right, cool. But I really liked what I played to it. And Absolutely. I remember using my old Les Paul and Ezra not having to give me a lot of direction. You know what I mean? How was Ezra to work with? Did you have a good relationship with him? Yeah, he was like a mad professor. I mean, I got to tell you that he's um, very talented. Um, my my producer friend Jeremy is actually related to Bob, oh, wow. uh, which is part of why I like working with Jeremy. Uh, although you know they're both a, a little eccentric in ways, but um, their their approach to how they hear music I find is is um, very um, unique. You know, so. Bob hears things that I just uh, wouldn't hear, and yet there were times when we'd work on something, and um, he'd be very clear about, you know, like what direction the solo is going in, and we'll learn it and fix it and double it and maybe even triple it, and then, you know, a half hour later, say I hate it, and and we're, we it's wiped, and we're starting from brand new again. You see what I mean? So, yeah. Um, but I have like tremendous respect for him. You know, I just do. I think he was um, uh, very, very in tune with what uh, what it is to put all the ingredients into an album. I know Gene and Paul were a little um, cautious with him because the elder was, I believe, that that's when Bob was a little crazy with some sort of drugs, you know, back then. And, yeah. uh, and the elder was a bold step for Kiss, maybe the wrong step in some ways. I think it was a great album, you know, but... Either way, I think, you know, Bob was clearly uh, very, very um, uh, level-headed and, and, and queer on Revenge, which is why it's, like, my favorite Kiss album, if not one of my favorites, of course. Yeah. Speaking of that era, the 90s era Kiss, if you will, the the next record, which obviously got kind of a strange release, was... Carnival of Souls, which personally I think is just a, a great record. Mm-hmm. One of the songs on there, it's actually my favorite song off the record, is a song that you co-wrote with Gene and Tommy Thayer called Childhood mm-hmm. End. Can you talk about writing that song with those guys? Well, actually, um, I didn't actually sit with Tommy to write it. I was aware of you know Tommy um, being involved with Gene on some songs in the past. You know, I think he had probably even a co-writer, maybe on Hot in the Shade or something something else. Um, but what 
Eric and Gene and I would do would be go to this little rehearsal place that could re- like it was really a recording studio, but it was more of a demo recording studio. You know, you wouldn't put all of Kiss in there. You know, and we got together and uh, we would jam out ideas that Gene had. And how I got involved as a writer on that song was I remembered all the pieces that Gene had that he really liked, and I actually took two different songs and kind of put them together and then contributed a, you know, a bridge. So I kind of linked together some ideas. And I wasn't aware that Tommy was like, you know, the co-writer on one of the ideas of Gene. Do you get what I'm saying? Ah, I see. Yeah. So um, that's why I'm trying to explain that. I, you know, it's not like the three of us actually sat in the room. Not that that would have been a bad thing. It's just I, I, I was just, you know, kind of doctoring what Gene presented to us. Um, Hate was another one. Gene had the majority of the riffs, and we jammed it out. I have all this on tape, actually. I just recently gave Eric some, uh, uh, I, you know, I digitized all of this uh, from the cassettes and all. Oh, cool. Uh, I gave him to Eric Singer. But, um, you know, and then all of a sudden in Hate, I realized, you know, hey, what about if we tried this, you know, for this, this section, you know, to lead into the solo, you know, and there it is, and then I'm a co-writer. You see what I mean? So... Uh, that kind of loose jamming always gave me some opportunities to, um, how do I say, uh, um, just influence the music a bit and become a writer, you know. And how did that, the release of that record, come about? Were you, while they were kind of already kind of planning the reunion with Peter and Ace, were you and Eric and, I don't know, maybe even Tommy kind of behind the scenes working on the Carnival record? Tommy was actually filming us <laughs> in the studio when we were doing it. But, uh, you know, the catalyst to the reunion tour was really MTV. And that happened, actually, we filmed that in August. Okay, MTV it, Unplugged. Yeah, Unplugged, I'm sorry. Yeah, MTV Unplugged, right. So that came out, actually, on Halloween. And shortly after that, I didn't realize that those guys were actually all talking with Ace and Peter. And let's face it, like, like my analogy to Star Wars, it was that 20 years, you know what I mean? that it was time for them to do it, you know. And uh, clearly, um, unbeknown to to Eric Singer and myself, they were negotiating whether or not, you know, they could make it really happen, you know. And obviously, uh, rather, Ace and Peter were very anxious to do it. Um, And for Gene and Paul, the uh, offers were there to do it. So we were told about three-quarters into the making of Carnival Souls, that it was going to happen. And and that kind of, you know, a lot of the things that were a little confusing to me about, like, how we booked the studio and some of the phone calls that they would disappear to make, you know, you know what I mean? It all made sense. To yeah. Me, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, we finished the record the best we could with now the knowledge of a reunion tour and all. And then, of course, you know, especially Paul, because he knew I had, like, nine co-writes on it that I was pretty upset that it was going to be put on hold, but I certainly understood that, you know, and what hurt the most was really having somehow it get leaked. I know some people actually thought that, you know, like a band member would have done that, which is absurd, because back then, leaking something means a cassette, and then it means wrong speeds and horrible degradation of quality. Digital world didn't exist back then, you know, so uh, now it would have been like, okay, here's the record, you know what I mean, and boom, it would be out there, but Ironically enough, uh, that was much more painful to me than even the reunion tour. I kind of always knew they might do that, 
but I didn't think that everybody would be passing around bootlegs of the record that, um, you know, I didn't love the way it was mixed to begin with, to be quite honest, and to hear these kind of like, you know, third, fourth generation cassette copies of it, I was very, very bummed out about that. And Paul was right. He always promised me, he said, oh, it's going to come out, it's going to come out. I was like, yeah, why are they ever going to put that out? And they did, you know, and they are even including it in the giant vinyl edition they just announced, you know, so I think that's awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, I was surprised because I interviewed Tommy Thayer uh, probably less than a year ago, and when I brought up Vinnie Vincent, he actually spoke really highly of Vinnie Vincent, which I, I wasn't expecting. And I just was wondering what your opinion of Vinnie was because I heard certain interviews where uh, maybe I was catching the vibe that maybe you didn't actually like the guy all that much. <laughs> well, to be quite honest, um, yeah, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I knew Vinnie from New York when he worked at, uh, on 48th Street. He did sell... Uh, he, he, you know, he was a guitar freak too. He knew all the good, you know, vintage guitars, and that was the golden age of. The prices weren't that insane, and I remember him doing some monkey business about some guitar that I asked about that that his his description was just totally wrong. You know what I mean? Right, I knew right. it was wrong, but what are you going to say, right? Um, I didn't really know about his, um, you know, kind of guitar playing that well until I heard some of the Kiss stuff, and. Then, and I realized, you know, I do have a lot of respect for him as a musician, a songwriter, and a, a guitarist. My issue with him was always this time period of when he kind of was hanging around again prior to, like, what, what, Revenge being recorded, meaning the writing and pre-production of, Re, of Revenge, you know, where all of a sudden he befriended Gene again, he's working with him, he's working a little bit with Ezrin and, and Paul, and... I got that. I saw the opportunity. Gene and Paul were smart. They go like, "This guy's a good songwriter. Let's let's hook up with him." And uh, but then I think you know somehow, and I, I, you know, it's so long ago now. I can't be sure exactly how I heard or or what happened exactly with this. But he uh, was kind of like saying things like as if he played the guitar solo on Unholy, okay, or he's playing guitar on Unholy. Right. And for me, that was quite offensive because. I mean, there's these crazy scratchy guitars in the beginning that Gene told me he did it, because I know I didn't do any of that. He could have done right. it with Vinny. Yeah. He could have. But that's certainly not a guitar solo. Right. Yeah. That's, that's noise. You know, I mean, it's very effective, but it's not a solo. So I remember when I first read that, he said, like, well, Vinny played the solo in Unholy. I was like, what? He said that? You know what I mean? So that, that kind of, you can imagine, that's like, i got to admit, it's one of the solos that I brag about when people ask, so... Tell us some of your favorite Kiss solos. Mm -hmm. So why would he want it? I mean, he's got to know that's not him playing. So if he meant something else, or he, that he actually did a solo and I never heard it, because, you know, what do I know? You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, So that was my issue with Vinny. And then I don't have to tell you how many times I've been privy to some ridiculous conversation that Gene and Paul had about, you know, how things were going down with Vinny that made me, you know, not want to know much you know, yeah. about it. Yeah, sure. As you know, he sued the band multiple times. Of course, he's lost, and, and, and um, nothing will make me say I don't think he's a very talented guy. I just don't think that he uh, has handled his uh, career. A guy with that amount of talent, you know, should be like producing music and creating and being out there. And he, he's, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, he's I mean, bizarre. there's this among like the hardcore 
Kiss fans, I think there's become this like strange fascination with him sure. now because he is so uh, just removed from everything. Yeah, he's the Howard Hughes of Kiss, you know. So. Yeah. And that's okay, you know, whatever makes him happy. I mean, even his personal life, what if I believe what I read in the, in the news, it's all all crazy yeah. and really horrible. Sure, yeah, know? definitely. So, so what can I say? But on a personal level, again, I, I really do respect the guy as a musician. I just, uh, if it was true that he told some interviewer that that was him, I, I certainly do have the right to be, you know, upset about that. Absolutely. That's all. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, obviously the co-host of Talking Metal, John, does a lot of work with, with Ace, and mm-hmm. John has told me that Ace just really likes Bruce Kulick. He said you know, Ace really thinks Bruce Kulick's a great guy. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think of Ace? Well, you know, the last time I saw him, I was with my wife, Lisa. This was, um, it, was, it was a really big autograph show here in Burbank area. I live in L.A., and we went, and he was real happy to see me. It was kind of like meeting the Godfather, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was all set up, and I know John was there, and... Uh, um, he gave us the book. He dedicated his book to us, which was really sweet. And he was he was really cool. I mean, I got to admit, um, I, I, most of the times that I've run into him personally, it was very cordial. He was very cool. There was no um, you know shenanigans or anything to, to to really criticize at all. I know he's been respectful of me. He also you know unlike where I could see there's a big difference in in me being one of the guitarists of Kiss and, let's say, Tommy Thayer, who is the spaceman for all these years, okay? There's there's a big difference there, all right? And um, so, you know, and we both actually put out records around the same time. Anomaly actually helped me get a record deal and uh, because the label that put it out at the time, when when they saw how well they did with Ace's record, were much more willing to put out BK3, you see what I mean? So... I was grateful about that. And actually, um, a good friend of mine who helped me with BK3 on the business end of things and all, uh, Ken Gullick, is actually working with Ace now. You know, so, all, all, you know, it's a, it's a small world, the Kiss family, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, um, and even if you uh, were, were hoping to avoid somebody, you can't, you know what I mean? So, uh, so, you know, look, I know that he gets kind of, like, criticized a lot by Gene and Paul, and in their world and in their eyes, they may very well have the right to do that. I, I certainly have no reason to put down Ace or anything. Um, my only confusion is, you know, being uh, knowing Kiss and knowing the success and knowing a lot how the fans feel. That, um, And I also know how Gene and Paul are. You know, I'm, I always do find it a little unusual for me that uh, he actually was able to after the reunion, actually be that unhappy with the situation to not be in the band anymore, you know what I mean? To just walk away from it, you know? I, I That's a head-scratcher for me, okay? Because I know he likes to play guitar. Kiss music's so much fun to play. It's like when people ask me, you know, well, would you go back and if they asked you to wear the makeup? I'm really relieved they never asked me to become the spaceman. But I miss being in Kiss, you know what I mean? I like that music. I play it well. Okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Okay, absolutely. So the head scratcher about Ace is how he could have been that miserable with Gene and Paul, or the band, or the direction, or the, I don't know. I just can't understand that. But you know, he's got to take his own uh, actions and own them. And you know, I'm sure he's going to put out a, a cool new record because uh, he, you know, he loves music. He's got. Um, you know, a real passion for guitar, and, you know, I always like reading up what's going on with him and the Gibson models, and, you know, 
But uh, that's the only part of the equation in my mind with with ACE that I could never really totally understand. Yeah, and I mean, with the press and, and the things that have, you know, Paul and Gene have said about ACE, sometimes I feel like they must just be sick of answering questions about ACE <laughs> and Peter, because it's like every time they sit down, and it's, and, and, you know, I feel like these reporters throw mm-hmm. those questions at them. Well, they, they're always going to grab the worst thing, and I've seen this lately about everything regarding from even Eric Carr now wound up in the news, and it wasn't completely true the way it was written. You see what I mean? Yeah, But it's definitely. blown out of proportion. And the same thing when Gene and Paul want to mention, you know, well, you know, what do you do? These guys are known to do alcohol and drugs, you know. And, you know, of course, they lump in Peter as well. And, and um, well, they, they have done that. But, but, but then again, you, you do have to be a little more careful in completely painting the picture that they're only that as well. But the, the, the headline is going to be the bad stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I've come out with some very polite statements about things regarding, let's say, you know, the Hall of Fame that's coming up. They don't get really picked up because I'm not saying the bad things, you yeah. know. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not bitching, you know. I don't really want to get in the middle of it, and I know you're aware of that. But I'm just saying the, what, what gets the headlines and what gets the fans all fueled and fired up and commenting on is more controversy and and it, you know I'm part of this family kiss and and I'm a I am the very very you know proud kind of blessed former member that that doesn't have really much of an axe to grind about anything there's lots of things that scratch my head from time to time but you know I was given this amazing uh, opportunity so I I prefer not to be picking at the the parts that don't make sense or that aggravate me. I prefer to, to, to pump up what's amazing about it, and it is freaking amazing. There's plenty of good to talk about, you know. So, uh, but, you know, then again, the history and the family, and I, you know, when I'm a little bit privy to something that I hear was said between those guys, you know, can you imagine the volume of what they have to talk about, if you get what I'm saying, you know? The, what did he say? You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, how many times, um, you know, one of them is represented by a lawyer and there's posturing and there's this and there's that. And, you know, and I know the way Gene and Paul are with how they want to always be, you know, they want to protect themselves, too. You know, so and then this induction thing's only brought out probably the worst of the whole thing instead of it being kumbaya, you know. But it's only going to kind of shine the light more on what's dysfunctional about this band and the 40 years that it that it represents you know so that's why um unfortunately the headlines that seem to get out there are the other other you know the juicy ones which don't always hold 100 percent truth but there's enough of the truth to make the headline you know absolutely definitely and you know paul gene ace peter they've all written books would you ever consider that do you have any interest in writing a book you know, ironically, I you know I worked on a lot of chapters with Ken Gullick, the guy that I just mentioned, because you know he used to have a terrific Kiss fanzine years ago, and to be quite honest, uh, we got a lot of good stuff down. Then I kind of lost interest in it because I was more interested in like creating my career. I remember that Paul wasn't really a big fan of any of the books. I'm actually really happy that he's telling his story and putting out a book. It should be a really great read. You know, I'm a you know, I'll be honest that I'm aware of a lot of things in Peter's books and Ace's book, but I haven't actually read them, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously my friends that have, they tell me the, the highlights of it all, you know. Um, 
I've, I'm most attracted to what I was doing through my blogs on my on my website and all, talking about the experience of doing an album like Revenge or Crazy Nights and how I felt about this and how it went down and sharing that kind of stuff. And that is something I'm going to look at. You know, um, what's great about Kiss is that you can put something on the back burner for a couple of years, it's still valid in two or three years anyway. You know, yeah. or it seems like it might even be more valid as you wait. So, um, you know, I know Paul said some things about the uh, the other books, and he has every right. He lived it. Maybe he knows those stories if they're telling them right or not. I wasn't around then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even some of the stuff Chris Lent wrote, which I was around for some of those years, I don't even think he. There, there was a reference in me in that book that that I think he said it was Bob or it was something that happened to my brother and wasn't oh. even me. So I'm going like, wait a minute. I toured with this guy for at least two years, maybe more, and that's the best he can do. Then how true is the rest of it? Right. You get what I mean? Yeah, totally. You know, Meatloaf put out a book. I lived that too. I was on tour with him for a year. Um, or the TV show was definitely like a, you know, drama. It wasn't real, really real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I realized that when Gino Paul come back and say like it didn't go down like that. I don't know what he's saying. I've seen it from other people. Forget Ace or Peter, because I I wasn't there then to know. Right. You know, I wouldn't know. So um, I know the the Michael Bolton book. He makes a mention of me, and and actually the quote and the little thing about me in it is actually re- really funny. And we'll we'll end up with this one regarding the books, and we don't yeah. have to talk about it anymore. But we're recording with Don, Tom Dowd, you know, a very famous producer, worked with Clapton and the Allman Brothers, and Tom's. You know, I cranked up the amp on my guitar. Oh, this is with Blackjack? Like, yeah, during the Blackjack era. And he actually says, uh, that sounds that sounds wrong. That ain't right. I don't know the exact quote, but it was basically like, what do you think, you're in Kiss? That was Tom <laughs> right. Dowd. And Michael remembered that, and it took me seeing in his book to remember it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, But I do have great stuff to tell, and uh, I guess eventually I will put something out. I'm just, uh, you know, I might be the... The, the the hair in the race, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, I'm not running, but it's okay. I'm I'm very I'm, and I've been really good about collecting things too. I have quite a bit of stuff. Okay, cool. When's the last time you spoke with Michael Bolton? Um, we email a lot, and uh, actually, I shared with him the wedding video because uh, you know we we we're not super tight, but I wanted him to see it, and he wrote back immediately. He said that's great. Let's get together next time I'm in LA, kind of thing. So, you know. Um, I was really, really um, happy that he responded, you know, about it. That he and he enjoyed it. Yeah, my my dad actually is kind of friendly with Michael Bolton. He just mm-hmm. seems like a really decent, nice guy. Well, look, all that time that I worked with him, we were like brothers in blackjack. You know, suffering and 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 at the same time, you know, having a great time with it. Let's face it, we had a real record deal, doing big things and. The suffering was like, oh, my God, if it's not going to happen, we're, you know what I mean? Yeah. The label's going to ha- hate us. This guy's going to hate us. You get what I mean? We went through a lot together. And then I helped him during his uh, solo career, too. You know, so In fact, you know, it was working with him that is how I met Don Brewer, which is how I wound up in Grand Funk. Here, really, ah. you know? Well, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Metal. And we want to encourage everybody to be on the lookout for BK3 and Bruce's other solo records because they're going to be coming to iTunes Correct. soon. Uh, do you have an exact day that they'll be up? No, no, that? because, you know, I don't, I don't want to give an exact date, but this spring for sure, okay, because, you know, you know it would be foolish for me to say a date because I have, you know, I just have to register, then I don't know how long it takes once it's up- uploaded. Some people say it's a week. Some people say it's three days, you know, so it's silly to say a release date. Um, 
you know, and since it's outside of the bonus material, it's not actually new, new, except for those two songs, you know. Yeah. But I'll I'll be surely, you know, promoting it on my uh, social media or my website, and I'll get it out there to everybody. And any interest in doing another solo record? Oh, point? yeah, yeah, there, absolutely. I've written some things. I just, uh, you know, I have this, like, list of, like, my career goals, and, and I've been chipping away at them, okay, but it takes some time because in between... You know, getting married, a honeymoon, traveling, doing gigs, you know, it, you know what I mean? Uh, it all, you got to pay the bills while you're planting the seeds for the next things. And um, it's very exciting. There's not a day that there isn't some email that comes in that's going to be something interesting to do in the future. And you got to juggle it all, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Kulik, the one and only, thank you for joining us on Talking Metal. All right. Thank you so much. And, be sure to visit Kulik.net and, of course, the official Bruce Kulik on Facebook. I tweet, too, just like Gene and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll link all those through the show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. All right, let me know when it's up and everything. Yeah. Um, oh, great. Okay, cool.